Welcome to SNAP, survivors of narcissistic and abusive personalities. This educational recovery podcast is presented by Claremont Mental Health and Mandy Friedman, licensed professional clinical counsellor. This presentation contains vital information for survivors of abuse. Topics include the spectrum of abusive personalities, targets of abuse, abusive relationships, and survivors in recovery. We hope this information helps you gain solid footing and clarity as you navigate your road to recovery. professional clinical counselor and a clinically certified domestic violence counselor. Today I'm going to talk about trauma bonding. Um, I would say that many of the questions that people ask me have to do in some way, shape, or form with trauma bonding. So it's a big subject. There's a lot to it. I'm going to try to break it down into three questions related to trauma bonding, and we're just going to sort of skim the surface of this topic today. We're not going to get super deep into it because it's a lot, but we can continue to do more trauma bonding videos. You just let me know if this answers your question or your questions, and you, um, or if there's still things that aren't clicking after I explain it. Um, reach out to me, and we'll do additional trauma bond videos for sure. It's a big subject, like I said, and I would say it's probably the most difficult part of recovery from abuse. It's the part that lingers for a long time. It's the part that is so baffling to everyone. It's baffling to the survivor, and it's especially baffling to their loved ones and concerned uh, family members or friends. You know, it. it's just... All right, well, let's get started with it. Like I said, it's the most baffling thing and, and it's the most difficult thing about recovering from abuse. Um, so what is trauma bonding? There are two other terms that I'm sure that you've heard. One is Stockholm Syndrome and the other is brainwashing. I mean, everybody's heard, heard of that, right? Um, so trauma bonds form as the result of repeating um, and cumulative, ongoing, intermittent cycles of abuse, okay? And you have plain, uh, pain and pleasure centers of the brain. Um, think of this, as I'm describing it, as more of from a neurobiological view. I think that's important to remember that our brains are affected by abuse and trauma, and it, it can change our brain chemistry entirely and um, when we do that it, it sort of locks in and then you wind up left with this brain so let's say the abuse is over and the trauma is over and now we're healing and we're in recovery the trauma bond is still there because the chemical um, components that have formed are still there Right? We're starting to develop uh, more of the logical parts of our brain in recovery. We're using a lot more of our prefrontal cortex. We're trying to rewire the brain, um, especially uh, the amygdala. Um, maybe I'll do a video on the amygdala at some point. The amygdala is like a sensor, and it pairs with danger. It pairs with um, fear and trauma. Um, and so you have the amygdala that really winds up um, 
having a strong response to this person's presence, even just hearing your phone ding, or, or even just hearing the keys jingle, and your, st your skin starts to crawl, um, you uh, start to sweat a little bit perhaps, you know, or you see that person and maybe you're still attracted to them, you know, or maybe you see them and you miss them, okay? So what is trauma bonding? Trauma bonding is what goes on between uh, a perpetrator of abuse, someone who's abusing someone else, and then the target of abuse. Um, those cycles that go on, and I'm gonna describe it a little bit further here in a second, creates a bond between the survivor, uh, the target, and the abuser. And that is a neurobiological bond. Um, it's sort of like addiction. It's not just sort of like addiction, it is addiction. Um, and it's probably one of the most strongest addictions um, is when someone is addicted to a person, it is very, very, very hard. Um, and I've heard many people say that it's harder than uh, recovering from you know, substance addiction. There are people that have you know, recovered from their substance issue, but they just can't get this part of it in line. Um, it's a really, really powerful thing. And for friends and family, if you're watching, this is where you're just shaking your head like, seriously? Wait, hold on, what? You did what? You know, like, uh, we just got away from this person, did we not? We all just piled in to help you get away from this person, didn't we? And now you're talking to them again? This is when people really start to get upset um, because they don't understand how you could still be wanting to contact this person or missing them or still in love with them. Um, and don't forget, this doesn't have to be a, um, a love interest or intimate partner. It can be anyone, um, including parents. It can be coaches or teachers. Um, it can be bosses. Uh, there are so many settings that can become cult-like that can, can start to break you down and then build you back up uh, types of systems that different organizations have in place. Um, and in different parts of the world, you'll see that that's how um, a government uh, even you know, runs their, uh, their media coverage, you know? Um, so you have cult leaders, you have governments, you have systems and institutions that can inflict the same sort of um, abuse, but mostly what we're talking about right now isn't you know survivors of cults, although even though it's the same mechanisms, we're talking about um, intimate partners or familial relationships that were abusive, whether it be physical, emotional, or psychological. Remember, all abuse, all kinds of abuse, is physical abuse. That's a video I've already done, so go look for that. All abuse is physical. Um, but just say that maybe someone never hit someone else. Maybe someone never laid a hand on someone else. Um, the trauma bond can still be there. It does not have to be violence, physical violence. This could be just purely um, psychological. Um, and 
you know, how does someone become trauma bonded? Okay, this is our second question. So the amygdala is a part of our brain, and I'm about to um, talk about something that I heard from someone else, and it's uh, Catherine Pittman, and she wrote a book called Rewire Your Anxious Brain. Great book, okay? So um, I really enjoyed um, learning from her, and it kind of reached, it kind of shaped how I approach trauma even. So, but anyway, so our amygdala, if you take your finger, put it where your eye socket is, and then take your other finger and put it where your ear is, that where that line intersects on both sides is where your amygdala is um, in the back, and they're about this big. Um, and if you think of that as a sensor or like a Bluetooth, it's not a thinking part of your brain where you're having like a stream of consciousness. It's purely physical and purely, um, you know, you, you kind of don't, well, you don't, you don't have control over it. You know, um, if your abuser wore a particular type of cologne or was a smoker or drank a certain drink, you know, Jack and Coke um, and cigarettes, for now, when you smell that on someone, your amygdala remembers. Even if you're not thinking about that person, your amygdala is. And so the cycle of abuse works in an intermittent way to access the pleasure and pain, the pleasure and pain centers of the brain. And we get deprived and rewarded and deprived and rewarded and deprived and rewarded over and over and over again over a long period of time. The person who is rewarding us and the person who's causing us pain pairs with our amygdala. The amygdala remembers that person and it remembers the part of the cycle where we get rewarded. Okay. Um, so this is really hard, but I, I always want to be honest and, and realistic. Um, if you think about Pavlov, uh, let's go back to Psychology 101, and that classical conditioning of um, reward and deprivation, reward and deprivation, um, you're hungry, you get fed, you're hungry, you get fed, and training dogs, right? Often I hear um, survivors describe what it's like to be um, trauma bonded or brainwashed by an abuser. It's like you're a trained dog. You just start obeying commands and doing things without even thinking about it. You get trained, right? Um, and your brain starts to get addicted to that um, you know, now I'm in pain, now I need that reward. Then I'm in pain and I need that reward. And then the abuser makes sure that they are the reward. Um, so I want to give you an example. Um, someone told me the story about how that she was not allowed anywhere near his devices. And when he would go to log into his computer or um, sign uh, or do his little you know, pattern lock thing on the phone, that she had to turn her head. Um, and, you know, he, if she didn't turn her head, then he would, you know, just get angry, but, or just wait. You know, he won't log on until she turns her head. So over the course of years, 
of her just, as soon as he gets on his phone or as soon as he gets on his computer, just turning her head. So fast forward years later, she's, you know, met someone new, it's a healthy person, it's a healthy relationship, and he, he gets really like weirded out because every time he goes to get on his phone, or every time he goes to get on her, his computer, she turns her head. He's like, what are you doing? You don't have to do that. There's nothing, you know, you can see anything that I have if you want to. Um, and it took her a while to get out of the habit of turning her head when he was logging on. So that's what I mean by a trained dog. You know, dogs are trained with the same um, sorts of reinforcement of good job, good job, you know, and now you're in trouble. And good job and job and no, um, here's a treat and don't do that. But, you know, and, and the dog eventually, you know, will, will, you know, pair those pleasure sensors of the brain um, with that, with those commands. Um, and uh, people who've been abused um, have been treated much the same way. Uh, my dog, we trained her in the beginning, this was about two years ago, um, that when we're feeding her, she has to go over and sit on a certain spot uh, and wait, and I put the food down, and then I walk away, and then she's not allowed to go get the food until I say, okay. Well, we, I feed her now and don't even think about it, and the other day I realized she never bum rushes the, the food dish. You know, she's always very, and then I, oh, she's sitting she still does it. She still does it. I don't tell her to do it. She just automatically does it. And it didn't even, I didn't even realize it actually. I just thought, well, she's so polite. But no, I trained her to not do that. And she still goes and sits in that spot and waits until I walk away from the food. Um, and then she'll come over and eat. So um, it's much the same. And I hate to put it that way, but I think that's probably the easiest way to understand it. So um, now, the last question is, how can I tell if I have a trauma bond? Um, most of you probably that do have a trauma bond have already figured it out, but maybe you didn't know what it was, but you know, you knew it was there. So a trauma bond feels like I love them still. I miss them. I'm, I grieve them and mourn them. Um, I can't stop contacting them or when they contact me, I don't have control of myself and I will respond. Um, I hear this a lot. I'm afraid I won't be able to stick to no contact. I'm afraid that I will um, be weak. I hear that, weak. Um, and I won't be able to resist um, because that's a trauma bond. So someone's saying that to me, I'm afraid I won't be able to resist. If, if he comes around, I don't know, I might go back with him. Um, that's a trauma bond. So even though he raped me, even though he stole money from me, even though he inflicted psychological violence on me and tortured me, um, and after all of that, I still love him. Um, but, you know, another way to look at it is that, you know, there's their fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Uh, and that comes from the amygdala. You've heard fight or flight, right? So now let's add freeze and let's add fawn. Um, I'm a fawner and a freezer. Um, I'm not a fighter. Uh, and I'm a flight. Yeah, I'm gonna, I want to go, right? So that's usually how I will respond to those sorts of things. But with fawning, the person is... Um, 
you know, behaving in a way that is triggering. So now we've got our adrenaline going and, you know, our response is to everything is fine and, and of course we'll do things your way. Is there something I can bring you? Is there anything you need? Um, I'm so sorry that I screwed things up and, you know, you know I, I bothered you. You're all upset now um, and it's my fault and, um, you know, and I'm sorry. That's fawning, right? So we just sort of back down, but we're also trying to caretake the abuser. Um, freezing is what it sounds like, but but it's also when you're try when you're in a moment with this person. So let's say you have to go meet with them, or let's say they call you and they're chewing you out, um, or let's say that they're attacking you in any way. It could be via text or email or in person, verbally, whatever. And you just can't do anything. You and then you get off the phone or you leave the situation. You're like, oh, why didn't I say this? Why didn't I say that? You know, I just stood there. You know, I did nothing. Well, you froze, and that's super normal. Um, we if we stay very still, maybe they won't notice us. Maybe they will think we're asleep, or maybe you know, it's a way of of sub, of being submissive. Um, and, and being, you know, unimposing, like, look, I'm not going to, um, I'm not coming after you. I'm submissive. I'm going to be frozen. I'm going to be still, and I'm going to try to shrink away. Um, and then, of course, fight. You know, someone who has a fight response, now we're going to have two people going to jail. Um, and I would say that all of us have had the fight response that has come out from time to time, but I'm talking about someone who has been severely abused in the past and um, in their household growing up, fighting was, everybody was fighting and it was normal. Um, and so that person may have a fight response. Well, I mean, that's gonna get nasty. That's gonna get really scary for everyone. The cops are gonna be involved. Um, and then unfortunately the target will wind up you know, could wind up with some charges, even even though they're not the originator of, of the cycle. Um, you know, they've definitely been doing, been um, violent in response um, because that's the way that, that their amygdala reacts to things. Um, <clears throat> so I think that, you know, some of the physical ways that we can feel a trauma bond is that tingly skin crawling feeling um, we start, our heart starts to pound, our mouth will go dry, we might start sweating, um, we might be shaky feeling, um, or we might be nauseous, we might suddenly have a headache, um, we might not be able to retain information in that moment and we'll feel sort of foggy, uh, we might black out, we might not remember what was said, um, you know, it, it's, what, it's sort of like if you have a device that has paired with a bunch of different devices. So my phone is paired with like three devices here at the office and probably four devices at my house and it's paired with my um, car. And so I have it set that all those things are on and then as I'm going through my day, the phone just automatically pairs with the different devices. Your amygdala is like a Bluetooth. It remembers, right? It remembers long after you've forgotten about it. I don't even think about it. You know, I just go through my day and it, things work, but I'm not consciously going, I hope my phone connects to the device, right? You just, it just does. 
Same with your amygdala. You're walking through your day minding your own business and all of a sudden you're feeling nauseous and you start to sweat and you remember, oh, right, I heard that notification in the car uh, while I was driving. You know, you, you might have heard a message come through knowing it's from that person, still not even consciously paying attention to it, but your amygdala did. And <clears throat> now you're not feeling well. Um, now, or you, maybe now you're feeling a little angry, um, and you're like, what is wrong with me? I woke up just fine. I'm not sick. Why am I? F oh, right. I've looked at that picture this morning or, you know, oh, that's right. I had to text with him, you know, last night. So a lot of it we don't even know is happening. It's just, you start to piece it together later on. But when it comes to trauma bonding, this is something that takes time and we need to be very gentle and patient with ourselves and not judgmental and not harsh um, because unfortunately, because it's a neurobiological, a neurobiological condition, it's not easy to change it. And, you know, I'll often say when it comes to these big changes or battling something like this, it's like trying to turn the Titanic. You just got to tap it and tap it and tap it a little bit at a time, right? We're not going to be able to solve this in six months. It's probably going to take a minimum of two years um, to get it in check. And even after it's in check, you're still gonna have a trauma response related to this person. And I often will hear, why do I still get upset when I see her? You know, why, how come I, I thought I was past this, that's one. I thought I was over this. You know, I thought it, it didn't affect me. I've been indifferent, I've been no contact, I haven't even thought about the person, and then blam. You know, why am I still having this response? Well, because your amygdala is responding accurately. It's working. It should be responding that way because the person is an abuser and they did hurt you. So I, as a therapist, am not going to help someone <laughs> learn how to not have that response, you know, in regards to their abuser because the amygdala is right. It's working. Um, so that's why. Um, it might be 10 years and you run into them and you're just, you got to sit down. You know, like, I, I, I got to sit down. I got to catch my breath. Like, and then I hear, I ran into him and, and then I, I was crying and I was so upset and I felt sick. And what's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. That's what happens. That's how impactful the relationship was. That's how much of, a, of an effect that they had on your brain that that amygdala is never going to forget them. Uh, and, and I think that's a good thing. That's, that's a a feature of our brain that once we get things in perspective and once we get healthier, it works well for us and we wind up having very keen instincts. We're able to feel things and recognize it. Whereas when we're, when we're involved in the abuse, when we're in the toxic abusive relationship, we are in panic and crisis mode at all times. So you can't tell the difference between what's danger and what's not. You know, somebody who has generalized anxiety disorder will understand this feeling. It's, it's you know, being scared, being worried, um, trying to conjure good feelings when it's really hard to get those good feelings going. Um, so, you know, but then later on, when our life gets healthier, less stressful, we're not in crisis, there's no abuse happening, and we're working on our PTSD and building a new life, um, then we can start to really 
honor our emotions, our feelings, and our instincts when I start to have that uh-oh feeling around someone. I just ordered pizza the other night, and I just felt really creeped out. No reason at all. Nothing was said or done. They delivered the pizza. I opened the door, and I just had a feeling, um, and I shut the door, got the pizza, and, and I just said to my husband, guy was fine. Nothing wrong with him at all. It was perfectly nice, but I just had a feeling come over me. Um, and I can notice those things. Whereas if it were, you know, a time in my life when it was chronic stress, uh, happening and I was having severe anxiety or PTSD going on, it was affecting my functioning. I just feel like that all the time, right? Anyway, trauma bonding. After you watch this, if something didn't make sense or there's still something left that I need to explain, um, please, please, please let me know. Um, that gives me direction of how, um, you know, what to select in terms of topics. You guys are the boss, so let me know what you want to hear, okay? All right, enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye. If you like this podcast, subscribe and leave us a review. Find Mandy Friedman, LPCC, CCDVC on YouTube and Facebook. Join the SNAP Survivors of Narcissistic and Abusive Personalities Facebook group and follow us on Instagram at The Official Snap. Thanks for listening.